0: Sit down if you want to. Right in the middle of what's going on. I'm in the middle of an interrogation. Take a seat, young Skywalker. The middle
1: children of history, man. The middle of the day, Alfred. Please, take a seat,
2: baby. Right now, I'm in the middle of nowhere. Stop the middle of the basic. Meeting in the middle. Fight,
1: fight. They fought for the freedom of middle.
0: The middle of middle. The
1: middle of The middle of the middle. The middle
0: of a war! Oh, it's friggin' ridiculous! Why don't we have a seat and talk about? over? No! Not the middle
1: seat leave that simp energy at the door and channel your big baller energy by listening to the middle seats podcast the best in the house for all things movies and entertainment and we start we're off and running i'm the masked man of the hour mr Androge. let's meet my quarantine crew he's the real remdesivir for your coronavirus cure if looks could kill he'd be ted bundy mr nate Longarini.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what kind of intro is yeah, this? Yeah, I'm,
2: I'm all kinds of bamboozled already.
0: I was oh, on a roll last
1: night writing this, and I just didn't stop myself at any point. <laughs> I think you
0: might have needed the brakes on this one, Drew. We'll see. <laughs>
1: uh, if you thought that was off the rails, wait for this. I vomit a little bit every time I look at his beard and realize there's an actual human being with goals and aspirations and a family under there. Mr. Jake Hensler, this is an intervention. <laughs> the
2: fact that you didn't
1: stutter, air high five. Well done. <laughs> uh, sh- I'm not saying I practiced, but I'm not saying I didn't practice. Uh, the middle seats, like I said, your best seat in the house for all things movies and entertainment. We're about two months into quarantine, so obviously we've been kind of thrown off the rails a little bit and thrown off of our usual schedule from this point going forward until we get new releases again, really, that are major releases, not like goob, other things that are actually things that you want to listen to us talk about. Tenet, ten Tenet. Yeah, tenant is hopefully the big mark for what we're going to start back up again. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But we're kind of going to be a little bit of a work in progress from this point forward. Uh, So today, we have some unfinished business to take care of. We're going to wrap up our box office challenge, which of course was kind of abruptly ended a little bit early because of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, But there are some reparations coming for one of the members of the crew. And if you can tell by my tone of voice, it's it's not going to be good for one of us. I won't say which one. I'll let (laughs) Nate do that in a second. Uh, Then we're just kind of going to do like a news debrief. There's a lot that's going on specifically related to coronavirus. There's not a lot going on overall in the world of Hollywood because everything is pretty much shut down. But there's a lot to talk about as far as how the pandemic has shaped the future of probably the next two to three years of movies and TV, but specifically movies because we are a movie podcast. And then we're going to try something a little bit different with our third segment. Uh, We've been trying to – Brainstorm some ideas of fun things to do And fun things that would make good discussion topics If you have any, please reach out to us on social media and let us know But we're going to do a dissection of a year in film And we're going to talk about how things have changed from the year 2008 until now It might seem like a random year But a lot of big things happened for movies just 12 years ago It set up a lot of trends and a lot of things that have died since then So it'll be a fun discussion, I think We're going to have a lot to say about that I'm gonna hand it over to my good friend, Nate Longarini who all winter and spring long has been giving you updates about our fun box office game. Well, now it's come to a conclusion and it's time for someone to pay.
0: Let's make some money! <laughs> All you care about is money. The box office disaster. Money, money, money. All right, so here is your movie draft update. Uh, just as a quick refresher, the rules were that everyone had to pick Five movies from the winter season uh, going into the first weekend of April and whichever team made the least amount of money over the course of the season had to watch a bad movie of our choice three times in a row so the winner of the draft was yours truly with Ford v Ferrari Frozen 2, Bad Boys for Life, Birds of Prey, and the never-released Mulan, which got cut off right before the coronavirus stuff started happening. So even with just the four movies, I came out on top with $883 million to my name. And cockier the, than ever. Yeah. And cockier than ever. <laughs> rights, apparently. Mm-hmm. So then it just came down to who was going to be the middle and losing team, respectively.
2: Who did coronavirus kick harder in the ass?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, this would have been a tight one, no matter how you sliced it. You had Jake's team of Knives Out, Jumanji, 1917, Doolittle, and Onward, which just got into theaters before things closed down and probably halved or even uh, thirded his total runnings. So it only made $60 million. Uh, domestically before theater shut down and then you have drew who had charlie's angels beautiful day in the neighborhood star wars episode nine sonic the hedgehog and then the never released quiet place part two which had to get pushed back right before right before release it still hurts to hear you say it i know so if onward made more money if quiet place got released this is anybody's game but we do have the final numbers and Jake had seven hundred and eighty million dollars, and Drew last place with seven hundred and forty. Yeah.
2: Ooh, ooh, ooh. Well,
0: let yeah. me just okay. Yeah. Go ahead, you finish up, but <laughs> I have some things to say. Yeah, say something. Same thing. <laughs> He's I, got a just, lot.
1: So first of all, there there still is no excuse for drafting Charlie's Angels in a beautiful day in the neighborhood. <laughs> I'm gonna get that off my chest right now. I deserve the l just for that alone. There's a butt coming. having said that, I would have beaten him if a quiet place came out. like a quiet place would have caught onward. <laughs>
0: I'm telling you. would it have? yes it's it's hard to say. I think I think the original quiet place made something around two hundred million. Does that sound right? Yes. um that might even be a little high, but. I had assumed when I looked at the initial numbers that Quiet Place would make probably like 130 to 180 tops.
1: Right. It was tracking for like a 75 opening weekend. And then probably would have mm-hmm. dropped a lot. But like critical yeah. reviews were good too. I think I would have caught him. That's just my personal mm-hmm. opinion. Star Wars needs to do better than this too. Yes, let, let Star, it Star Wars
0: only made five hundred uh a stupid sum of money, but
2: But in Star Wars money it's low. In
0: terms of other Star Wars movies, yeah. Uh, episode eight made around six hundred, and then Force Awakens made close to nine hundred million. And even if it was right in the middle of that with like a seven fifty figure, which is what most experts thought it would be going into the season, that would have been almost game over for all of us. I might right. have just barely caught him. With Mulan. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the the reviews of Star Wars and I think maybe just the overall tired audience from seeing so much Star Wars content.
2: And the fact that it was kind of dumb. It was a very middle-of-the-road movie. <laughs> <laughs> very middle-of-the-road movie.
0: For our full in-depth analysis of how dumb Rise of Skywalker is. Yeah, we,
2: we can great. get into all kinds of accurate reasons why it didn't make that much money. But we missed the big one that it it was not well-liked by as many people
1: as we anticipated. <laughs> yeah. Being polite. Looking at the three teams right now. First of all, I want to give props to my homie Sonic for trying to help me out a little bit. Like mm-hmm. he much
0: he, better than anybody expected.
1: Right. And I think Jake's Jake's got the win from picking 1917. Like I think that was a smart move.
0: That was definitely the dark horse pick of this draft, I think. Yeah. Like War Movies tend to do all right like within the 60 to maybe 100 million. Um, but $160 million for a Best Picture winner that was pretty artsy in terms of uh, nominee structure, the whole nine <laughs> yards. Very, very good. A lot of people got really hyped about 1917.
2: Yeah, but to yeah. take a bat to my own knees, I also took Cats and then dropped it for Doolittle. So <laughs> if,
1: yeah, you- if you want
2: to <laughs> penalize me, there it is. <laughs> it's
1: almost more insulting that that happened and I still lost. Like- <laughs> yeah. Let, give, 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 let's give <laughs> let's give quick props to the homie who won, which is Nate. I like your quick. team. Your team is pretty solid across the board. Even Birds of Prey screwed you a little bit and didn't perform like it was supposed to. But Mulan probably would have canceled that out. Um, yeah, I mean there was not a bad pick in your whole crew. Uh, mm-hmm, you originally yeah. picked The King's Man, right, or something, or didn't you have to switch something out? Yeah,
0: yeah. The The Kingsman prequel. I originally had that over uh, Bad Boys for Life. And it actually was a happy little mistake because yeah, uh, Bad Boys overperformed it from what I expected and got over $200 million.
2: Yeah, I overlooked that one heavily. I didn't think that would do that well.
0: <laughs> yeah, and obviously none of us picked it first round. So yeah. um, the fact that it's probably in the upper half, if not upper third of the total movies on this list is pretty cool.
1: I think it's still the top grossing movie of 2020, which I mean, not saying too much, but...
0: <laughs> oh my Not goodness! That's crazy to wow. think about. Ugh, we need we need movies to come out in twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, there was a certain point
1: short. where this pivoted, where I was playing for second place because Nate was starting to gain a pretty high lead, and I was like, okay, I just don't want to lose,
0: especially to Jake. Mm-hmm.
1: Like that's yeah. the hardest hey. part. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <clears throat> well, so I think it's high time that we talk about your punishment. Mr. Roger.
1: Let me just say real quick, there's nothing you can do to me that I haven't already done to myself. So
2: he's come he's coming like a prisoner of war, do your worst.
1: Right. <laughs> I'm standing in the middle of Times Square and you've got a sniper trained on me and I'm just staring back at you like bring it on.
0: All right, you're not Jason Bourne. <laughs> All right. So we we tried we tried hard to find an insufferable movie. And our our ruling on this is that you have seventy two hours to watch this three times. So if you want to watch it back to back to back, you're more than welcome to. That's like nine hours of your life that could just Mm. go to the wind. (laughs) Uh, But maybe spacing it out is more painful for you. We'll leave that part up to you. But the movie that we have chosen for you is going to be M. Night Shyamalan's The Last Airbender. Oh, 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 no. (laughs) Like that's not even, it's not even fun bad. Oh. oh, that's the that's the best part. It's yeah. an atrocious movie. And as you know, this is available on Netflix, where Netflix just reacquired the last airbender, the actual T V series. So you'll be constantly reminded if you liked this movie, you can watch the original <laughs> series here. And you cannot <laughs> until you get through this M night Shyamalan disaster.
1: Oh my god. Thoughts, Andrew. Oh.
2: Thoughts on your punishment. Are you still so confident?
1: I have seen it before, and it is not pretty. Like, it's just, it's a train wreck. The thing is, it's going to be very difficult for me to be anything but sad. So it was a good <laughs> choice. It wasn't like uh this is the craziest shit I've seen in my life, fun pick. Like, I was hoping you were about to say Lady in the Water when you said M. "Night Shyamalan. But then my brain, like, slowly started to... Warp, like what's the most sadistic <laughs> up thing? That you can do? <laughs> exactly. was like a piece of garbage Ugh. to ease
2: your pain a little bit um, because there is a, you're right, there is a chance I would have lost should Corona never have happened. I will watch it at least once, maybe do the full challenge if I'm feeling bored and out of my mind.
0: You're not that bored. Uh, don't, please, you're not p- that bored. please don't do
2: that. <laughs> like I'm begging you <laughs> don't do that. We'll see how I'm feeling after watch one, but I will okay. watch it at least once for your sake.
1: That, yeah, that's a sick hour 44. Oh, let me add it to the Netflix queue now so I can just find it later. <laughs> uh, all right, that's a good solid choice. I mean, it'll make me think twice about how I draft next time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, pay for your we're, sins. We're
0: hoping to capture some of your reactions on film, and we'll put a little compilation video out there for for our YouTubers out there so we can see and hear your reactions as you watch it. For those listening, you've guys stuff to look forward mm-hmm. to. Ugh, I got nothing left to live for, gentlemen. Like,
1: I can't even go see, like, a movie in the theaters to go wash it out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right, speaking of movies and theaters and 2020 and coronavirus, Nate, thank you for that update. Thank you for charting throughout the entire winter and spring season. We will bring this game back once it's suitable. Obviously, we can't really do it for the summer because it's half a season. We have been discussing possibly doing a mega one That goes for like eight, nine months. Stay tuned to see if we actually do that or if I'm just talking out my ass right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But that'll do it for the box office update. Let's get into a little bit of news discussion, and this is going to be a little different than usual because usually our news segment is about things that have happened in the last week, week and a half, two weeks. We are going to be covering about two months' worth of material here, and that might sound intimidating, but really, what else do you have to do? Like take the dog out, let the dog go to the bathroom. Bring the dog back in and then listen to news. And this just in, a news break special report.
0: I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story.
1: I'm realizing now that I'm seeming a little hostile today, and I think it's because of the previously announced Last Airbender news, so I apologize to the viewers and the listeners of the Middle Seats podcast. That is my only disclaimer right now. (laughs) Let's go into news. We've got our outlook for the rest of the year. So obviously this started in the middle of March where things started to really change. It was the weekend – I'll remember it. I'll call it Bloodshot slash I Still Believe weekend for the rest of my life. A weekend that will <laughs> live in infamy in film history.
2: Friday the 13th weekend, right?
1: Yes, it was. I, I, if this is too much, you don't have to answer. But do you remember what the last movie you saw in theaters was and roughly when? Um, It was –
2: One of two things. It was either The Invisible Man or Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I don't know which
1: one. Both good choices. Nate, I know we discussed it a couple of days ago, actually, I think. So you have an idea. You went with your your friend.
0: Yeah, my my last movie was The Way Back, uh, the Ben Affleck movie, Mm. uh, to a theater of me and my date (laughs) (laughs) and nobody else in the entire theater. It was a last hurrah of sorts, like a fine movie. But the last time I've been able to sit in the movie theater seat. Did you pour one out
1: as you were leaving leaving the theater? No,
0: no. but it was nice to get the middle seat as the last seat in the theater. Mm.
1: (laughs) Yeah, my last one was on March 11th. I saw Emma, which is very good, by the way. I recommend it. It should be available for $20 rental at this point. Um, But that was the last thing I saw. So I pushed it to the very end because around March 11th is when – uh, the NBA took all their players off the court. Tom Hanks got coronavirus. And then we – apparently that was enough for the government to be like, all right, that's – that's once you go <laughs> yeah. after Tom Hanks, we're done. Yeah, hold on a <laughs> second.
2: <laughs> we don't touch Tom Hanks like that. Right. Something's got to be done.
1: So the last 60 days or so have been studios just perpetually putting out press releases of disappointment. Every time I get an email from Variety, it's usually bad news. Like one of my movies that I was looking forward to has been rescheduled. Uh, somebody that I like has coronavirus. Yeah. So, what does the rest of 2020 look like? We're going to just talk generally about the schedule going forward, I think. A lot of states are starting their reopening process. Some may be doing it a little early. Some may be not. In my opinion, some of these governors are acting like the mayor from Jaws, and they're like, ah, we saw a shark, but it's fine. You just go swimming again. It's okay. <laughs> um, but... Depending on when we reopen, will probably dictate when movies start to come back, obviously. Right now, the date we all have circled on our calendars, whether or not it's going to happen is going to be tricky, is July 17th. Because that is the day that Christopher Nolan's Tenet comes out. And it is probably the highest profile movie. It is 100% the highest profile movie still left mm-hmm. on the release schedule. After that... I'm just going to go through the next couple of weeks of movies, and then we'll kind of talk about how the summer movie season has been kind of eradicated. We've got Tenant, then Mulan, which Nate had it originally in the spring draft, has been moved to July 24th. You've got a couple of movies in between Mulan, and then on August 14th, we have Wonder Woman, which was supposed to come out on June 5th. That's the big things of your July and August as of right now. Then when we get into the fall, it's a, it's a lot of crowded – So Black Widow moved from May to November, Godzilla vs. Kong is down there, the new James Bond movies there at Thanksgiving, Soul, the new Pixar movies there, Uh, West Side Story, which never moved, but Top Gun moved, so it's going to be very crowded. I guess, let's just talk generally, how do we think going forward the schedule is going to be affected? Will we have a summer movie season next year, or are things going to be feeling the ripple effect going forward?
2: Well, I like to think positive and maybe 2021 will be the best year for movies ever. Right? Who knows? It
0: it could be The stuff we're excited for gets moved. Like actually, maybe from a different angle, but this might be kind of like a silver lining for a lot of movie studios is that they have a lot more time to edit your movie now. Yeah. Like normally these things are finished maybe like a week or two before they go to theaters. You have a lot more time now. Yeah. Um that's kind of what happened with um that underwater movie with Kristen Stewart. Uh it was a movie that was just kind of stuck in development hell and release hell for almost two years, if I recall correctly. And uh in that time they had a lot of time to edit the movie together, so the few people that saw it, I think it only made ten million in the box yes. office, but it actually got pretty decent reviews for a pretty lackluster premise because they just had time to put it together. And when you apply that to stuff like your big budget releases, uh, that actually could do well for a lot of things, we'll have to say.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's like a professor giving you like way extra time on a test. So if you don't if these if any of these movies coming out in November aren't good, there's
1: really no reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if they're done filming and everything, there's not a whole lot of reason. I think you have to say that the big winner in all of this right now, if there is, if you could call it a winner, is the streaming services because obviously they have a lot of extra traffic right now. We did a whole episode on streaming recommendations that I would recommend that you guys go and check out if you haven't already. But even beyond those older movies, we're talking about new releases now getting dropped on streaming, and it's a matter of how far the ripple effect will be felt. Is this going to be a permanent solution where some of these movies just get completely siphoned out of theaters and get sent to straight to streaming? Or is this just a temporary solution to the whole pandemic problem that nobody can go to the theaters and even when things reopen, people might be scared? Uh, It's a very interesting topic that we have been talking amongst ourselves about for like a month and a half at this point. And we'll get into the ramifications of what that means in a bit but first I kind of want to ask generally Nate like do you think this is something permanent that we'll see going forward
0: yeah I I'm very curious to see what studios end up doing again coming from the box office perspective because I have been in charge of looking at the numbers <laughs> for so long now <laughs> uh, even in the last five years the amount of money that your big blockbuster makes compared to your like more tame, Release like a smaller family film or a comedy or something like that, it's almost like a huge wealth gap between those types of movies now. Where a smaller movie that might make 50 million is now only making 20 or 10 million. Less people are seeing non blockbuster movies in theaters. And if sending straight to streaming is economical, I can totally see people putting, like, a stuber or... Let's just, let's
1: just for example, say, you know, Charlie's yeah. Angels is off the board.
0: Yeah, Ch- Charlie's Angels, Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. Yeah,
1: ugh, yeah. What kind of asshole would pick those movies in a box office dress? <laughs> I
0: know. Um, those types of movies might just be cheaper to send straight to streaming services and still make their, their money back, just obviously in a different, different way. Um, but your big blockbusters still draw in lots of crowds to see them so i don't think for example disney is going to put any marvel movies straight to streaming i think i think right. that's not not going to happen christopher nolan all of his movies he makes them for the theater and i think the latest numbers we saw is that 80 percent of theaters need to be open yeah for that to go to theaters like that's straight from warner Brothers. christopher you
1: know. nolan will buy plots of land and build theaters before he actually puts things on street yeah
0: yeah, like, <laughs> <But> <laughs> he, he he lives for the big screen and a huge sound system. All of his movies require it almost the first time you watch it. So, I, I can see there just being more of a divide, though, between blockbusters and non-blockbusters from studios.
2: The fact that it is possible, I think, is a bit of a scary precedent. Because there are some movies like... Like, Onward, I was fine with going to streaming. Um, but then there are movies that I would really like to see in theaters. Like I purposely saw Marriage Story in theaters knowing Netflix was getting it within the week because I wanted the theater experience and I wanted to be immersed in the dark room, the big screen and you know all the other factors with it. I hope that doesn't happen because then we lose things like Lady Bird to theaters and stuff like that. But
1: yeah,
2: it's really interesting idea that is absolutely possible seeing how streaming
1: is so big. I'm worried about specifically the mid-budgeted movie. And we've talked about this a lot off camera, the three of us, but let me just kind of explain to our audience what I mean by that. Let's use a movie like A Quiet Place. I think that's a good example because that's not like a that's not a 5 million dollar movie, but it's not a 100 million dollar movie either. That's a movie that costs probably around the 25 to 50 million dollar range. Like if studios see that the streaming services and the video on demand immediate Video-on-demand services are showing good business and generating a lot of revenue. Why would they pay for distribution? Why would they pay to send these movies to theaters? So what happens is these movies will go straight to VOD. A lot of people will watch them, and they'll generate buzz social media-wise, but not in the old-school way where people were going to the theater and making an experience out of it. And what that really does is it hurts the actual theaters, Because now they're not making any money off of you and going and buying concession. And they're not getting any percentage of ticket prices, obviously, if there's no ticket prices being bought. The way it works a lot of the time is like Disney and Marvel and Pixar will take huge percentages of you paying your $15 to go see Black Widow or Avengers Endgame. The theater won't get a lot of that. The theater gets a lot better percentages for... Those mid-budgeted movies. So if there are no mid-budgeted movies coming out or even indies like Jake was talking about with Marriage Story or Lady Bird, I actually think we'll still get some of those in theaters because they need them to generate the buzz for Oscar season.
0: Mm-hmm. But,
1: the, but that middle section, we're not getting those. That means the theater is suffering heavily. Attendance will go down, and I don't think we'll eradicate the theater experience completely, but a lot of these places are going to have to shut down, and we might be getting less and less locations around the country – which I don't think I don't want to see, at least, personally. No, me neither. And I I actually
2: think A Quiet Place is probably a good example because it was successful and well-liked. But movies like that in the horror or comedy genre, generally, as good as they are, only make so much money. You know what I mean? Like, IT Chapter 1 was an anomaly. And that was one of the highest-grossing horror yeah. movies ever, if not number one. Generally, horror movies don't do amazing. So right. we might see a big lack in horror and comedy and even original content like Baby Driver great original movie that is kind of middle of the pack budget-wise and um, box office-wise. Or when you get
1: horror movies that break out, like A Quiet Place, like The Conjuring, like Get Out, a lot of that is built off of the communal experience, people having a blast together at the theater, I think. I don't think you can generate that same sort of buzz on online, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, you can invite your direct friends over, but it, it, you cannot replicate 500 people in a theater at a time being scared together. And Jake, you're right when you pinpoint that horror and comedy are the two genres that might suffer the most from this. Think of this happened – we'll get into our 2008 discussion in a bit, but we'll go back 12 years ago real quick. A movie like Pineapple Express doesn't get released in theaters if streaming service is a thing. That is a direct-to-Netflix movie if I've ever seen it in today's age. But it doesn't generate the cult following that it has if it goes direct to Netflix, I don't think. So it could completely change the shape of history. We might be being dramatic. Nate, are we being dramatic? I think I'm just going to worst-case scenario (laughs) and just kind of being cautionary. It's
0: Slippery slope arguments are always a hard one to to actually see. It never is as dramatic as you think it's going to be. But that said, this is definitely a shift that is going to, I think, exasperate a trend that we've already been seeing in the last couple of years less small to mid-budget movies are doing well at the box office, and this is just more incentive to cut that cord. Cut your cord at
1: home, and then plug in your streaming service. Yeah, exactly. There
0: you go. <laughs> I'm curious. I really, really don't know. I don't know where theaters are going to land, because I also feel like just in terms of regular society, there's a big urge to return back to normal. Uh, so... Even though it might seem scary now, it might just be that people want to be able to go back to the movie theaters after all this. And even though it might be more convenient to watch things from home, it just might reset after a coronavirus isn't a thing. Right. Or it is at least less of a risk.
1: Yeah, and that transitions well into talking about kind of the quarantine brain and the quarantine mania that has studios and theaters beefing right now. And kind of a war of words and a little bit of a swinging contest between billionaire CEOs and a cold war here brewing. So I think, guys, I, I think it's safe to say all of us bet on Trolls World Tour potentially being the movie that completely changes the course of film history, right?
0: Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah. Did you see that trailer? Yeah. All inspiring. It, it, you know, it, it's weird. Jake would text
1: me. Jake texted me a link to the trailer every day for 35 days straight. It was really uncomfortable. He, he, he wasn't listening. I had to change my number twice. It was a lot.
2: I just wanted you to see it was basically Trolls Guitar Hero, but you weren't listening.
1: It was Trolls Infinity War <laughs> is what it was. <laughs> oh, lordy. Um, but Trolls World Tour was originally supposed to come out on April 17th in theaters. When No Time to Die vacated its slot, Trolls World Tour decided to move up to April 10th and go straight to VOD for $20 uh, a pop. You can rent it for 48 hours for $20, watch it as many times as you want with your family over Easter weekend. So it does really, really well for DreamWorks and Universal. The CEO for NBC Universal, his name is Jeff Schell, suggesting that future Universal releases could premiere simultaneously in theaters. He, he said Trolls World Tour did amazing. It outgrossed a lot of the money that the original had already made just in one weekend. And he's basically. Putting it out there, he's not 100% committing to it, but he's putting it out there that future Universal movies could release at the same time on VOD as they do in theaters when things get back, when the dust settles. Obviously, AMC and Regal do not like this. It basically violates what their agreement is, where there's a certain theatrical window where you can only have the movie in theaters and then you can transition to VOD releases. So AMC and Regal straight up say we're not going to show Universal movies.
0: All Universal movies.
1: All Universal movies. So this is problematic because let me read you some of the Universal films that will be taken out of theaters now. The big four are No Time to Die, which is the most immediate. That comes up in November. Fast and Furious 9, which is next April. Jurassic World 3 or Jurassic World Dominion or whatever it's called. And Minions – the Rise of Gru, those are the big four, all potential billion-dollar grocers. I'm not saying they will, but they potentially could get there, all four of those. So there's a lot to unpack here.
2: Yeah, those are massive losses for for movie theaters to not – like if movie theaters aren't going to show those, that's going to be hit for the movie theaters. There's a chance that Universal completely loses a ton of money. Fast right. and Furious, James Bond, Jurassic Park, those are
1: gigantic properties. So let me start bluntly. Will this happen, or is this just a cold war right now?
2: Like maybe they threaten a little bit, but James Bond typically doesn't make as much as Fast and Furious and Jurassic Park, right? So maybe they'll just like if that should that be true, maybe they'll just take out James Bond with a threat, and not all of them. I don't know. I can't see them doing all four because that is a huge money loss on all sides for you know basically being petty. See,
1: we don't think of James Bond as a big money maker, but worldwide. It is... Yeah, it's
0: very popular worldwide.
1: Very popular. Skyfall made a billion dollars. And Spectre made, which is not even one of the better ones, made like $850 or something like that. We're talking internationally here, too. That's very important to note. Right, right. Because AMC is the biggest theater chain in the world and Regal is definitely second. This doesn't just affect the United States. It affects China. It affects all the global business that a lot of these companies even pander to in their movies, especially... I think if it's inter- if we're talking internationally, Fast and Furious will be devastated by this if this happens because right. that is such a global brand. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, yeah. China loves the Fast and Furious franchise. Yeah.
2: People might, you know, really start to speak out because those are movies that people, like you said, they obviously make money at the theaters because they're action extravaganzas, eye candy, they appeal to the eye. And people look to see those kind of epic things in the movies. So if all of a sudden, you know, AMC decides, nope we're not going to show Jurassic Park or Fast and Furious, people are going to be mad.
1: Yeah, I think this is a very, very bold and very stupid conflict because if you like (laughs) I I know we just waxed. Right. Yeah. Extra emphasis on stupid. Like if we wax poetic and we just did a couple of minutes ago about how streaming services, worst case scenario could mean a significant downsizing in the film going experience, the theater experience this kind of conflict will rapidly increase that pace. Like the theaters and the studios need to find a way to get on, like somewhere on the same page because do you really want to test someone by giving them only the option to see no time to die on streaming? Like if that does well, then that opens the floodgates.
0: Mm -hmm. Then it's it's game over. (laughs) There's also just the aspect of what do theater goers do? Like obviously you would – Me and Jake all see lots of movies a year. But, like, the average moviegoer maybe goes between 5 and 12 times a year. If all of a sudden you're cutting out an entire studio's palette of movies, that's just going to piss a lot of people off. Because, oh, I can't see this at home? Fine. I'm just not going to the theater ever anymore. They never have the movie I want. Because they don't realize that Universal only has X amount of movies. They just might think, oh... All the movies that I want to see just aren't going to right. show up in theaters reliably anymore. So why am I going to bother? Yeah, and that makes it a really bad move for Regal and AMC.
1: So I've got I've got one last point I kind of want to talk about, and this is kind of the warm down. That was our big topic, but I want to talk about how we think this will affect one specific area of the movie going business. And that's specifically drive through theaters or drive-in theaters. They've, they've always been around. They never went away. There's just a lot less of them than they used to be. A lot less. A lot less, yeah, especially where you guys live. There's, a, there's a, like three or four around here. There's a lot of them in New York State, a lot more than you would expect. But obviously they're the only ones that are able to show movies right now because they are able to find ways to get around the social distancing guidelines. We have one opening up this weekend. We had one opening up last weekend. I'm based out of the Capital Region Albany area, for those of you who don't know. So what, where do we think this leaves the history of drive-in movie theaters? Do we think this is a permanent revitalization or do we think this is just kind of a fad and a placeholder before people go back to the regular theaters?
2: You know, I don't know. I have I think I've only done a drive-in movie theater maybe, maybe once. I'm not that familiar with it, so I don't— know exactly like how well they do and how popular they are. But if people really want to see movies and, you know, movie theaters are still at risk, yeah, this could be a a big, a a big idea. And even like, you know, one of our friends, Amanda said like mall parking lots can do things like this. We recently found out, I think today as of recording that Yankee Stadium might do something like this. It's definitely a lot of possibilities to make it happen.
0: I think generally speaking, I agree with you, Jake, but I'm a little skeptical about some of the finer details. Um, Some of the reasons that drive-in movie theaters have been falling out of favor is they just financially can't keep themselves afloat. The projector that you need for a drive-in movie theater is very expensive. And just like regular movie theaters, drive-ins don't make a ton of revenue to keep themselves afloat. And a lot of them couldn't upgrade to new projectors. And that's why a lot went out of business in like the last 10, five years. I, I grew up in Connecticut and I'm pretty sure we only had one or two in the entire state at one point when I was going through high school. It is a little harder than you think of just like, oh, everyone go to an empty parking lot and we'll show a movie. It doesn't right. Quite I'm sure work it like is that, difficult. Yeah? yeah. So I think this might be edge more toward fad than full-on revitalization it's a shame I would like like it to come back but just logistically it's hard <laughs> you needed wait for it to be dark so you can only usually get one or two showings in a night right uh, and that's why most of them do double features of two completely different movies back to back yeah even if they expand that to maybe do three showings a night of two different movies. That's still nothing compared to five whole theaters at one location or more than that. If you're at a big AMC with like 12 screens um, where you can show 10 uh, screenings a day, you know, it's it. I don't know if it's sustainable the same way just because there's so many more limitations on drive ins compared to your regular theater chain.
2: Right. Yeah, I think that's I think you put it pretty well.
1: Yeah, public perception is that it's a it's a gimmick. You know what I mean? It's a fun thing to do once or twice a summer, and that's what we used to do when in Jersey we would travel probably 45, 50 minutes to one for a handful of times over the summer just to go there and do something different and shake it up a little bit. Um, But I think, yeah, I think it's not seen as a thing you do week to week, and I don't think it could ever be that again for reasons that you kind of went over, Nate, based on the cost and based on the just the nature of it it's it's hard to focus a lot of the time especially when we have these premium movie going experiences like IMAX and stuff where you if you really want to get immersed you're not going to go see Tenet at a drive-in you know you're going to go see something trashy or something and those movies don't make as much money and it trickles down to the entire business so i kind of i think we're all kind of on the same page where it's nice to see it getting more attention but i don't think this is a permanent solution so we've kind of covered broadly here everything that's happened over the last two months that have been has been significant. Obviously, we're going to continue to track it, and if there's any topics you want us to talk about, please let us know because we're looking for any kind of inspiration here in the next couple of months as we try to return to some sense of normalcy. Um, so now we're going to get into our third segment here. Like I said, the show doesn't really have any structure right now. It's just kind of us having some fun, trying some different things that maybe we wouldn't be able to try in a normal world. So I guess there's a silver lining there. We are going to talk about a year in film. I don't know if this is going to be a recurring thing or if it's going to be a one-time thing. We'll see how this goes. Uh, But basically, we are going to take a look at trends in a singular year in movies, how things have changed since then, what kind of things that year set up, and just the little hilarious things that were really popular then and have just completely died out. So we are going to look at the year 2008, which... I'm trying to do the quick math. I believe I was, thir- I was 13 that year. Quick math, guys. Not a math pod, but a quick math. Again,
0: for the second straight episode, no help on the math. Oh, I'm not. What are you, help
2: you looking at me for?
0: <laughs> I'm looking at both. I of went you. to college for media production, man. I don't do math.
2: Yeah. Math is my worst subject
1: every year for 12 plus years. Yeah. So we were all 13 in this year. For me, at least, my this is the first year I would say that I hardcore paid attention to movies. Like, every single movie that came out, I tried to see. That would probably be the start of my movie-going obsession. Do you guys remember where you were 2008 as far as movies go? Jake taking random dates to the movies, stuff like that? I don't think so.
2: Actually, I did see Mummy 3 with two very random girls. I also saw Dark Knight in theaters for sure. Actually, you guys can shit on me for this. I saw Iron Man in theaters and thought it was overrated. I have since changed my mind. Oh, but... <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I have since changed my mind, but I I did not love it at first. Yeah,
0: I definitely remember my my Dark Knight experience. Like, I looked at my buddy walking out of the thing and I'm like, wow, that's really cool that they kind of threw Two Face in there and didn't see that coming. And then just kind of walked away. And like, it, after like a day or two, and I'm like, that was an amazing movie, wasn't it? I'm going to go see that again. <laughs> and I did.
2: I think I had a similar experience. Then all of a sudden, like, the buzz grew and, like, everybody <laughs> mm-hmm. kept talking about it.
0: Yeah.
1: Nate, your buddy was like, yeah, we couldn't hear it over the crossword puzzle in the Rubik's Cube you were doing next to us.
0: <laughs> I am I, quite in the movie theater, man.
1: Just hear the... um. But that's a good place to start, both of those movies. 2008, to me, will be a year that's notable because it was the beginning of the big comic book movie wave. So we had the initial wave... We probably had two initial waves. We had 1989, 1978 era where Superman and Batman, and that was just getting the shit on the screen. I mean, those movies are good, but they have not held up as well as some of these other ones have. And then we have 2002 slash 2000 when X-Men and Spider-Man came. Yeah, that was my intro. 2008 was a huge, huge year for comic book movies. In 2007, we got Spider-Man 3 and Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer off the top of my head, but that's pretty much – that's all we were cooking – comic book movie-wise. We were still into Shrek. We were still into Pirates. 2008, Iron Man, The Incredible Hulk from the MCU, those two movies. The Dark Knight, which say no more. Uh, Hellboy, The Golden Army, which is a Guillermo del Toro. Oh, that was –
2: I forgot about that. I saw that in theaters too. I like that a lot.
1: Yeah, the week before The Dark Knight, that came out. Hancock, which is a very different kind of comic book movie and – one that I think I'll talk about in context is in terms of its connection to something like Deadpool coming up as far as doing something different and almost R-rated.
2: I think I saw that in theaters too.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Actually, fun fun, wow. quick fact about Hancock. Uh, my mom and I went to go see that, and there was a fight in the theater. Yeah. It was pretty bitchin'. <laughs> <right>? Wow. <laughs> uh, and then just a quick mention, Punisher Warzone came out in December as well, the second attempt to make a Punisher movie. and Did not see that. <laughs> equally as failed as the first. So... We've got two separate things to talk about here, and I think let's start with how this year started shared universes in terms of Iron Man and the Incredible Hulk. Talk about kind of your, I guess, initial reaction. Did you understand what the Nick Fury stinger and Iron Man meant? Did you understand what they were building when Tony showed up in Incredible Hulk? I guess, Nate, let's start with you.
0: Yeah, like, I remember the line, and I'm like, oh, yeah, Avengers, that's kind of like the... The less cool Justice League, that's kind of, that's a cute little Easter egg. No, I don't think anybody knew that this was going to be the end goal, um, more of just like a little tease here, just like a little one-off joke.
2: Same same here, Nate. I, I had a very similar experience where like Iron Man and Hulk came out, I think back-to-back months, right? May, June?
1: Yep. Within a couple weeks of each other.
2: Yeah, and I, I saw both and, I mean, liked both, but didn't love either of them. And then obviously Dark Knight, I was like, holy hell, that was that was amazing.
1: In a way, Iron Man and the Dark Knight have a lot to thank each other for because they are so different in tone, but the Dark Knight legitimized superhero movies so much that people could take seriously any kind of risks they were willing to take. Absolutely. I like to talk about the Dark Knight in terms of it being a movie first and then a comic book movie next. It's a crime drama is what it is. And that was so good. And Christopher Nolan did such a great job with that movie that it legitimized other movies and other superhero films and gave them an opportunity down the road to take risks. Like Hancock actually goes really well in this discussion because Hancock, which, it, for those of you who don't know, that's the Will Smith. He's a drunk, like, superhero. He saves the day. You probably caught it at, on TBS at 3 p.m. on a Sunday in 2012 yeah, I, and forgot about I saw it. it in theaters and I never watched it start to finish again. It's
0: not a great movie. The right. first act is completely different from its second act well
1: (laughs) hancock could have been a great movie because it was originally supposed to be a pretty hard r superhero film it was supposed to be like what deadpool eventually became but in july of 2008 two weeks before the dark knight that was not going to fly that was not going to fly with audiences and the dark knight started to open the floodgates where that kind of thing could be accepted to where we could get Mm-hmm. logan down the road and we could get deadpool yeah. and we could get mm-hmm. the more experimental movies
0: yeah superhero movies up to this point were for comic book fans or young teenage boys you're nerds you're geeks you're, you're yeah are you're you gonna see spider-man again yeah loser the dark knight made superhero movies uh much more accepted like it was considered for oscar buzz you know like people were people were pissed this didn't get nominated for best picture right um obviously heath ledger got best supporting actor but that couldn't have happened before the year 2008
2: now there's this age old argument which with a two month difference which one is ended up being more influential or you know big on cinema iron man or dark knight which is more important
1: right i i like to be the like the little taco girl where i just say Why not both? They were both influential. (laughs) Uh, You guys know what I'm talking about? You've seen that commercial? Okay. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm just making sure. It's it's an old meme, but it checks out. I didn't know if it was obscure or not. Um, Nate, Nate gave a
2: stamp of approval.
1: I think Nate was looking at my notes because him mentioning the Dark Knight's best picture buzz transitions really well to my next point, which gets away from comic book movies, but sort of kind of. The Dark Knight was so revered and so beloved that they literally changed how they did Best Picture at the Oscars because of it. So many people were outraged. This was Crazy. the last year that there were only five nominees. From this year forward, there's a, there was a maximum of ten. So 2009, mm-hmm. they started doing ten nominees because people really wanted The Dark Knight. And to a lesser extent, people really wanted WALL-E, the Pixar movie, which a lot of people consider Pixar's best, not me personally. But that came out that same summer within a couple of weeks. So many people wanted those movies to get the attention from the main categories that they changed the category so that the next year they could include movies like Up and Avatar and <laughs> Blindside because a lot of people saw them and generally <laughs> liked them. District 9 would never have gotten nominated I don't think without this change. <laughs> the Blindside. <laughs> right. So I mean, did not think we were talking about that today. <laughs> uh, do you, are you guys ever nostalgic? For the five nominees, or do you like the? F- it's now anywhere they could pick between five to ten. It used to be straight up ten. D-
2: they usually do eight or nine, right? In the right, last few usually. years, it's usually eight or nine. Yeah, I'm okay usually. with that because I think there are so many good movies a year. But it's when they do things like, like not only Green Book getting nominated but winning. I was like, God, what? <laughs> yeah, well, like if you're gonna if, well. you, if you're gonna make it up to ten, pick a really
0: good ten good is subjective. <laughs> I was going to say. And if you go by that logic,
1: Green Book winning means it would have been part of the original 5 anyway. So
0: I I like the change to include more movies. Hey, it gets more people excited about the Oscars and like, oh, I I really want that movie to win. It's just kind of exciting. You're rooting for your team at that point, you know. Mm. Yeah, I think this year in particular, we're going to go through some movies that I'm like, this all came from 2008 holy crap, this was a crowded year. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of good movies here, and it makes sense that it would change the way the the biggest night in movies gives its awards out. Right. And it was a lot of big
1: movies that aren't exactly like, you know, big masterpieces. You know what I mean? They're not like big prestige art film. But this, tra- actually, that's another transition point. Nominated for Best Supporting Actor in 2008 was Robert Downey Jr. for Tropic Thunder. Uh, Hell yeah. A movie which... Not this is not the main point, but I don't know if they could make that movie today, <laughs> given just, just like all the ways it's satirized the, and how misunderstood it would be. I think,
2: and all, all the gen just recently was it the Gen Z uh, yeah. generation on Twitter? Yeah, they all like lost their minds because they found out mistakenly that Robert Downey Jr. did blackface, but they all completely missed the point. Like, go watch the movie first, and mm-hmm. then tell me what your problem is. <laughs> right.
1: And I think a lot has changed in comedy in the last 12 years. We had big comedies on both ends of the spectrum this year. Uh, this was right in the middle of the Apatow boom. So Step Brothers, Pineapple Express, Tropic Thunder, those kind of movies, the R-rated raunchy comedy. They're not all Apatow movies. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the, that style of comedy where it's a lot of improv and there's not a lot of a script. Was huge, and I think we've gotten a little bit back towards structured in recent years. Like Booksmart was my favorite movie last year. That movie is very clearly written. You know what I mean? It's very precisely yeah. written. Yep. Um, and then on the other end of the spectrum, we just had a lot of bullshit on the other end, where this was right at the peak of those terrible spoof movies that a lot of twelve to thirteen year olds were going to see. Like Meet the Spartans came out this year, and Disaster Movie came out this year. Barf. Yeah. The whole joke is, Oh, look, there's Sanjaya from American Idol. Remember Sanjaya? And today's kids would be like, No, what's American Idol? But Right <laughs> back, So it immediately dates the movie because it's just either references or poop jokes or fart jokes or dick jokes. Yep. I think I walked out
2: and meet the Spartans. That's one of the only times I've done that. <laughs> what resolve? Mm-hmm. What yeah, resolve, I still have
0: dick? not finished Epic movie. Yeah, which was the year uh, as before. As a quick aside, we almost picked that as your punishment, Drew. That would have been times that would have been really mean. That would have been uh, really too, too mean. far. We <laughs> were like, we, literally, we, we texted each other, uh, we might break off our friendship with Drew <laughs> after that one. Yeah. I think mean, he might excommunicate us. <laughs> you could yeah. hear the
2: tone change in
1: his voice. He was like, guys, that
2: would be too
1: far. <laughs> yeah, that is my least favorite movie of all time for those who are listening right now. So that would have been really mean. Uh, disaster movies, the Spartans, they're made by hacks. They are made by people that we expect less of. So it was even more shocking when The Love Guru came out and was almost as bad, probably as bad as those movies, and basically killed Mike Myers' career.
2: Yeah, 2008 or nine, the death of Mike Myers.
1: Right. I don't know mm-hmm. if it was self-inflicted, if he doesn't want to do movies anymore, if he just straight up, they looked at how bad that movie was, and they were like, okay, the days of Austin Power, and even Shrek was starting to trend downwards at this point. So, the death of certain careers, the peak of others, because Will Ferrell was huge here. This was just when Seth Rogen was getting big. Uh, this was the comeback of Robert Downey yeah. Jr. Right. I guess, like, let's just talk about comedy in general. Like, this was a big year for it on both ends. Huge. Some of... Step Brothers is probably one of my favorite,
2: like, silly, goofy Will Ferrell comedies. And then on the opposite scale, Tropic Thunder is also one of my favorite comedies. Like, what a, what a summer.
0: Like, do we think... If those movies came out today, uh, that they would be as loved and as, like, well-received? Like, would they be successful even at the box office, too? I don't even know.
1: It's tough to say. These
0: are the types of things that might get released straight to straight to Netflix now. Right. You know? yep. Yeah.
1: Going, that's going full circle there. Absolutely. That's what I, I referenced yeah. Pineapple Express earlier. I don't think that movie goes to theaters in this day and age. Yeah. And I
2: think... Um Robert Downey Jr was on Joe Rogan a few months ago and they actually they talked about Tropic Thunder a little bit and Downey Jr was saying like he doesn't think you can make that movie today. Mm. Like he already he was already getting advised not to do it in 08 by I think his wife and he chose to go through with it and obviously it worked out it was a success and he was great.
1: Mm. I'm just kind of cringing thinking of the thought of those disaster and Meet the Spartans movies coming out in an MCU universe. Where it's just, oh man, Ugh, can you imagine the parody of oh, Black, yeah. Black Widow played by Carmen Electra with her boobs yeah. out? and. I know.
0: Do we do we get parody movies like that anymore? I'm really trying to think. Uh, Like, they don't go to
1: theaters. I think they go, they exist, but they go straight to yeah. video. I think they exist, but they don't come Those out.
0: types of movies are trying to do what, like, old school Mel Brooks movies tried to do. Where they took a genre and made fun of it. And Mel Brooks is hilarious. Right. But these, like, epic movie, disaster movie things were awful. And even, like, in terms of the scary movie franchise that kind of started the new wave of parody stuff, only the first two are anything close to decent.
1: I don't even like the second.
0: So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I actually, funnily enough, I just rewatched the first one not too long ago and I was very, kind of, like, middle of the pack on it. Like, whatever.
0: It's like definitely a timestamp of that type of humor. Yeah. Like another yeah. comedy that came out in this time that I feel like could be successful today was Get Smarter. Same here. Because uh, it's much yep. more scripted, you know, and also hilarious and has The Rock. It's got everything you need. <laughs>
1: yeah, this was back before he was yeah. big. He was like third build. Like today, he'd he'd be Steve Carell's character probably. Oh, yeah. He'd be
2: leading that movie. Yeah. The, the poster mm-hmm. has, has something covering each of their faces that would never happen to The Rock
1: today. <laughs> That's an underrated movie. Not a bad one. That's a good oh, point though, it. Nate. I like to think that our comedy sensibilities have matured. We've grown up a bit in the last few years. I mean, we still like our gross out humor and stuff. But at the same time... When done right. Right. We, we expect a little bit of structure and a little bit of effort, you know?
0: like Just a little, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, actually, I feel like... Movies themselves are making fun of their own genres. Like, look at what Marvel does with superheroes. They make fun of themselves, and that's kind of our substitute for old-school parody movies now. That's true. Other genres just aren't taking themselves as seriously.
2: Yeah. Even in um in Moana, when they get to the top of that Rum Monsters thing, um, Maui goes, if you start singing, I'm going to
1: throw up. That's a good point. I don't think they were doing a lot of self-referential stuff back then. Everything was deathly mm-hmm. serious. Right. Everybody's yeah. so woke. Yeah, So let's transition to something pretty much completely different. Uh, This was a big year for female-led entertainment, uh, and this kind of started a new wave. Well, first we'll just mention Mamma Mia, because that's not what I'm referencing. Mamma Mia was huge, kind of was a jolt to the movie musical. But I want to talk more about Twilight, which came out this year. You do? Uh, You want to talk about it? Because there's an important thing, Jake. (laughs) Sit down. (laughs) Professor's talking. Professor's talking. Oh, here we go. Twilight came out in November. It was the spark that started a lot of young adult teen love story adaptations that were everywhere from 2008 to like 2015. Whenever Divergent burnt out is when that genre burnt out. So 2016, we'll give them an extra year. Obviously, The Hunger Games came along and was even more popular, but Twilight didn't have the crossover appeal that The Hunger Games eventually would have. It was very young girl centric. And it's ironic that a movie like Twilight is what kind of started Comic-Con. So in July of 2008, Comic-Con blew up in San Diego because they were going to premiere some of the first footage from Twilight and the stars were going to be there. And all these teen girls like sitting outside waiting to get into Hall H. A lot of superhero movies probably saw that and were like, oh, we can do that too. And from there on, it just took off.
0: And now Comic-Con is huge yeah like not just comic book movies but all types of anything remotely sci-fi or fantasy blockbusters they debut trailers there they get sneak peeks there and it's one of the biggest movie events of the year yeah uh whole production teams and uh internet commentators they make careers off of one day
2: i didn't know
1: twilight had such a big influence on comic-con
2: this will be on the test later jake don't worry Okay, well, I've never seen Twilight, so I'll just fail that portion. It's fine.
1: Yeah. Twilight, obviously, launching the careers of Kristen Stewart and Robert Pattinson a little bit. I mean, Harry Potter was around. Harry Potter was around, but this was the real start of that trend that was everywhere. They were just trying to adapt every book for a couple of years. Percy Jackson got some. Yep, Percy Jackson's another good example. They tried to do Mortal Instruments. They tried to do her other uh, book, The Host. They put my girl Saoirse in, and it still sucked
0: right yeah. so you know it's bad
1: <laughs> right so I mean Twilight most notable for starting that trend for the next eight years or so that no longer exists uh, real quick we'll do a quick lightning round of stuff here just quick comments on each of these because we got to wrap up soon uh, Legacy sequels which are the whole idea of you know making a sequel 20 to 30 years after the franchise has kind of died Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came out this year which did not work out It didn't work out quality-wise. Rambo also came out this year. But I think Indiana Jones' appeal and the interest in it led to Force Awakens down the road.
2: And Which is interesting because they've been trying to develop an Indy 5 for a couple years now.
0: Still in the works, hypothetically.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly right. We'll see what happens first, whether they make it or Harrison Ford is bedridden.
0: I won't go far to say it's like Crystal Skull started this trend, but I think it is worth noting that that is a trend that has still continued. Like They still do this. They do this with Star Wars, obviously. Um, they did it with Wolverine and Logan. Well, they did it with Anchorman,
2: 2000 and whatever to 2014.
0: Yeah, Anchorman. I don't think that's a trend that's going to die out anytime soon. But it's just very sporadic in between because there's only so many properties to go around that people have appeal to. Jumanji is technically one of these types of sequels. Yeah. Yep, that's a very good. Idea. And that that just came out with its second sequel to that movie, I guess. Yeah, so it. the third third yeah. movie in the franchise, second <laughs> sequel. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So legacy like sequels. Uh, this was the year that found footage kind of slowly but surely started to become more of a thing in the horror genre. Cloverfield came out this year. Uh, did pretty well at the box office in January. Um, a lot of people mm-hmm. complained of the shaky camera work, but I don't think they understood what the movie was trying to do right. That was the point. <laughs> yeah. Also, the movie Quarantine, a small lower budget one in October came out. Next year would be the year where found footage really took over horror because paranormal activity mm-hmm. came out and was a massive, massive indie hit. And you could and cost like a thousand dollars right. Make. around this time, you know it was still popular was the saw movies. And slowly but surely found footage started to take over the – what it was called the torture porn genre of movies where it was just kind of blood mm-hmm. and gore for no reason. And now it's was more yeah. based on you searching for the screen and for things jumping out at you. So found footage started mm-hmm. to make its kind of appearance here. Nate, I know you're a big horror fan so I'm glad that I'm talking about this with you.
0: Yeah, <laughs> love it.
2: <laughs> Have you seen any Saw or Paranormal movie?
0: I've seen I've seen Paranormal Activity 3. Just 3? I had <laughs> to drive back home at 2 o'clock. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Mainstream
1: audiences embracing international culture is another thing I have written down here. Uh, Slumdog Millionaire, a movie I have not seen, by the way. I still need to see that. Same. One best picture that year. Uh, obviously, big Bollywood vibes. Still an American-speaking movie directed by Danny Boyle, but in a way... There's a little bit of foreshadowing here for what would come later, which, of course, Parasite winning last year. This, I think, was the beginning of the inklings of the idea that a movie with that embraces foreign culture could win an American award like the Academy Awards.
2: And speaking of last year,
1: Joker getting all those nominations can probably thank The Dark Knight. Yeah, comes full circle. Two actors have won an Oscar playing The Joker. And then one minor note, and then I'll give you guys a chance if you have anything else you want to talk about. This year had a couple of 3D movies. The 3D boom came the next year with Avatar. There were other movies that were using 3D, but the real big 3D boom where every major movie was coming out in either good 3D or bad 3D, speaking of The Last Airbender. Ugh, some of the worst converted 3D that's ever been put to film. But yeah, so 2008 was kind of the start Of that trend and then that quickly died out When people were like let's not spend $16 To wear sunglasses
2: Yeah I was never a big 3D
1: guy Even as a kid Another gimmick similar to the drive through in my opinion But you live and you learn Certain things make money Anything else you guys want to talk about when you have uh, 2008 in mind
0: There were a couple animated movies That jump out to me You got Bolt Kung Fu Panda I think is the big one it actually seems like a fairly diverse cast of well-acclaimed animated movies. We talked about Wally already, but uh, the Madagascar series is came out this year too with the second one, Escape Two, the number two Africa. That one, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and yeah, it's it's interesting to to see a fairly diverse palette here, um, where really it's just Pixar and Disney dominating today
2: right? Yeah. That was a a decent year for Ben Stiller, but he
1: kind of wore off after this, right? Correct me if I'm wrong.
0: I don't think wore off is a fair thing
1: to say. His priorities have changed in recent years. Like, he's directing the Escape of Danamora, like documentary and doing stuff like that now. He's basically become like a political advocate at this point. But yeah, I mean, him being a mainstream star started to fall down at this point. Zoolander 2, another good example of a legacy sequel.
2: And I I think um, this was one of the last times we really enjoyed Will Ferrell, because other than Anchorman two in twenty fourteen, and the other guys in twenty ten. I can't think of a whole lot that I liked him in after two thousand and eight. Again, not talking about his
1: mainstream comedies. Yes, I agree. You know what I mean. Like he's he's good in other things. He's just like he just changed his priorities. He's not a star. Yeah, but I
2: feel like we we've seen you know yeah a decline of Will Ferrell over the last ten years. Yeah. Which is funny to say, 12 years ago, we all loved
1: him. Right. Nate, bringing up Bolt is interesting because I had that written down. This was kind of the comeback for Disney because they had had a really bad stretch for about seven or eight years. And Bolt was the start of the string of Princess and the Frog Tangled, eventually leading up all the way to Moana, Frozen, of course, in there. Exactly, yeah. People quote, say, call it, quote unquote, the second Disney renaissance because now they're back mm-hmm. to the height of where yeah, they Yeah,
0: their 3D titles started taking off after Bolt. Yeah. Yeah. Between Tangled, Frozen um, in the next couple years, years, Bolt was the first one that like, oh, kids like it. Critics liked it. Families enjoyed it. And we went from there. Yeah. And the animation quality is still pretty good.
1: Uh, one movie I want to give a big middle finger to now that I think about it, I forgot to mention it when we were talking about comic book movies. But The Spirit came out this year and that's like one of my bottom five movies of all time. Just like an, a <laughs> horrific attempt to replicate Sin City by a person who has no idea what they're doing, even though they wrote the novel. So, Oof. yeah, screw that movie. What a year, and it's crazy because
2: when I think 2008, I don't think that long ago, but that's, that's a firm 12 years mm-hmm. ago. That's really remarkable. Iron Man is 12 years old.
1: Yep, The Dark Knight, almost that's 12 years old. Yeah, and things have changed considerably since then. So let's move back to the year 2020 and wrap up this episode of the Middle Seats podcast. Before we go,
0: Nate Longarini, where can they find us on the internet? All righty, here's how you can get in touch with us. Please like, comment, and subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Middle Seats. You can also listen to us on the go on all your podcast platforms, including iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. For questions, comments, and updates on the show, keep an eye on our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all at The Middle Seats. And if you like what you hear and you want to see more content, let us know and spread the word. I know I already plugged it earlier, but it really was a good podcast. We
1: did a dope-ass job on it, so please go listen to our quarantine streaming recs. Things are starting to reopen, but you're still going to have some time at home over the next couple of months. We've given you about 45 recommendations of things to watch across all the major streaming platforms, except for Hulu. Sorry, Hulu, but you're Hulu. So be sure to check that out. We'll be back very soon. For Nate Lungarini and Jake Hensler, I'm Andrew Keep that seat warm, everyone. We will indeed be back soon.